the only path forward for big companies is to find breakthrough innovation and acquire it. Like Microsoft essentially acquiring OpenAI and ChatGPT. Because big companies can't innovate. It's like a bylaw inside big companies. They cannot innovate. They acquire innovation and then they take it to market. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. I'm so excited to bring a guest here that has been on my radar for years. I've always been one degree separated from this man through various individuals. I would be going to certain conferences. I'd know he'd be a speaker there, or I'd be attending or working with a certain partner. They were working directly with him, and he was doing a massive amount of work teaching people to think exponentially. And you might be feeling the anxiety today more than ever about how fast things are changing. And if you're feeling that way, don't worry, you're not alone. But what I want to make sure we have a conversation about today is how do we navigate these changing times and why the linear thinking we've always had and might have been accustomed to needs to change to a more exponential type of thinking. That's right. I'm bringing Salim Ismail, the man who is behind Singularity University, has been writing the book Exponential Organization, and as of this recording, has just released the version 2.0, Exponential Organization 2.0. So before I even bring him on, here's an action that I want to give all of you. If you're sitting at home and you have the access to the Amazon app, they're offering a promotion on the book just because it has released and they want to put it in the hands of as many people as possible. It's available for 99 cents. If you've ever published a book, you know how the introductory sales really impact the numbers. They're already a number one bestseller. And the community here, I know we're going to help them do a little more. So take a moment and go and get a copy because this is going to be the guidebook that you need to build anything that is worth building in today's society. I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Salim, welcome. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Salim, I was very interested in speaking with you and I thought that one of the first questions I'd really want to get out of you is the fact that, okay, most of us are watching things going, oh my God, it's moving faster than I ever expected. But you've been studying this stuff for years. And I mean, your book is almost a decade old and you were already talking about exponential technologies and the rapid increasing rate of change. With what you're seeing today, are you kind of sitting there going like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I predicted? Or is your mind blown as much as everybody else out here? Both. At one level, you're like, yeah, this is kind of what we predicted. And then you're like, oh my God, it's actually happening. (laughs) So you end up with both responses because I'll give you the favorite example we have here is Elon Musk, okay? Arguably the most successful entrepreneur in the world today. What he does, he looks at a technology that's growing exponentially, that's operating on a doubling pattern. And this is something that all your listeners and readers need to understand. Moore's Law, 18-month doubling pattern, it's been happening for 60 years. Great. We get that. We're now seeing that doubling pattern in a dozen technologies. And this is completely unique in human history. Never before have we seen this many technologies move this quickly. For example, drones are doubling every nine months in their price performance. Biotech is doubling every six months. Solar energy is doubling every 22 months, right? So this is an unbelievable progression that's happening across multiple technologies now. And each one is doubling. If you intersect them, that adds a whole other multiplier to the equation. So we've been tracking this since 2008, 2009, when we launched Singularity University. I finally launched the book in 2014, and I thought I was late to the market. I thought, oh my God, it turns out 
back then, if you tried to tell a big CEO that the world was changing, they were like, yeah, what are you talking about? Then, you know, Tesla takes over the car market. Solar energy starts to dominate the world. Now we have ChatGPT. We have like black swans hitting us left, right, and center. Now people understand that you have to adapt. Your organization structure has to be adaptable and flexible, not architected in the old way for 20th century thinking. When we look at organizations, they're going to be the ones that I would assume have, let's say, a slower pace of change because you have so many humans, you have to navigate in a different direction. Even as all these technologies are moving, you need to move, but you have a whole big building to shift with you. When you look at it from an individual level, are there things that give us a unique advantage in this market over these large organizations? Massively. So in the 20th century, big companies could throw their weight around and dominate markets right? And they could kind of launch products and services on their time scale, And the market would bend to their needs and their will because they had such dominant power. And there was actually a whole economics thesis created by a guy called Ronald Coase in the 1930s, who said the reason big companies exist is that transaction costs inside the company are cheaper than outside the company. And he wrote a nine-page paper for which he won the Nobel Prize in economics for this kind of basic thinking. Well, in the book, we declare Coase's law dead because it's now cheaper to do things outside than inside. You try and do something inside a big company, you have to get clearance from IT and HR and all these different layers. It takes a long time, and most of the time the answer is no, right? And you get stuck and you're back to square one. Whereas if you're a startup, you go, hey, I've got a great idea. Let me go talk to 20 investors. One says yes, and you're off to the races. So the impedance mismatch now favors the individual entrepreneur. Let's note that the biggest companies in the world today Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple, all started with two guys in a garage. So the only successful future is two guys in a, or girls in a garage iterating fast. And that's the clear path for all large organizations in the future. And large organizations won't succeed unless they can become platforms. So if you look at the internet world, Yahoo, BlackBerry, Nokia failed to become platforms. Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook successfully became platforms and then they dominated. So what we're going to see is the future will be bifurcated into two organization categories. One is you're a platform and you're serving an entire ecosystem and connecting buyers and suppliers, or you're a fish living in that coral reef and making your living off that coral reef. Because if you think of most of your readership today, they're kind of using these tools to make a massive periodic difference in the world and really make hay. And that's a very viable future. Much more interesting to be on that side than to be the platform, which is a bit dull and boring. Very viable. Much more fun for the individual. <laughs> well, there's this whole rise of the gig economy, and it's supported by this, exactly. right? Like everybody that yeah. goes out and say like, okay, I want to, let's say I want to do some online marketing. Well, you're playing on platforms that have been designed to run ads on things like Facebook, and then you can reach customers around the world. That couldn't be you know, access at a cost per click of a couple dollars with a variable budget that, you know, you had to be the large organization just a couple decades ago. It's fascinating. And, you know, for a lot, the anxiety might come saying, oh, these big organizations are swallowing up everything and there's nothing left for the little fish. But you're saying, no, no, everything's going towards more creating an ecosystem. The only path forward for big companies is to find breakthrough innovation and acquire it. Like Microsoft, essentially acquiring OpenAI and ChatGPT. Because big companies can't innovate. It's like a bylaw inside big companies. They cannot innovate. They acquire innovation and then they take it to market. So given that you know we're seeing these trends happening, exponential technology, I always feel like 
improvement in technology improves the lives of all, but there's a lot of negativity as well and some caution to the wind around these technologies, particularly AI. I'd love to get a sentiment from you on the positivity versus negativity aspects of all this development in the next few years. Okay, I'm going to go fairly counter to typical thinking. I hate this conversation because people get freaked out and they go, AIs are going to take over the world and achieve consciousness and they're going to have access to the world's information. They're going to get their own autonomy. And if we're lucky, we're pets. And if we're unlucky, we're food. (laughs) You end up in a Hollywood dystopian matrix Terminator uh, Skynet scenario, right? But what you actually see happening is completely different. If you look at, say, PageRank, which is Google's algorithm for crawling billions of web pages, it's acquiring its own intelligence that's completely orthogonal and independent from human intelligence and, and complementary, not re- replicative. Uh, your mobile phone has an unbelievable amount of AI and technology. It's an extension of you, right? You know, the boundary of who we are biologically now sits around the mobile phone because my memory's in there. My, I can video with my son for free. I can project empathy around the world. Which I, so I'm more human with my mobile phone than without it arguably today. So what we've seen, actual reality, evidentiary, data-based, is that we're extending human experience with technology, not replicating it. The Hollywood scenario always goes to the bad outcome. And there is a reason for this, if I could go on a slight tangent. We, we all have in the back of our brains a little organ called an amygdala. And it's an evolutionary mechanism, it's about the size of a walnut, that's constantly scanning for bad news. Because if you, when we were running around on the plains of Africa, if you heard a noise in the bushes, you ran because bad news could kill you. If you miss some good news, I might miss some fruit that I could eat. If I miss some piece of bad news, I died, right? So we're 10 times more likely to pay attention to bad news than good news, which is why we call like Fox. If you watch Fox News, you're going to die this week, <laughs> right? If you're lucky, you'll last till next week, but then you're going to die next week, but you're going to die. Peter calls CNN the crisis news network, right? When you can... Watch every kidnapping in real time, high definition, stream to 20 devices. You think the world is going to hell. And then you vote based on that and you end up with Trump or Brexit, et cetera. Nothing to do with reality, but the fear factor gets amped up because we can transmit and augment fear with digital media today. But the actual reality, if you look at any factor or trend in the world, except for climate change, is the world is an infinitely better place than 50 years ago and infinitely better than that 100 years ago. And the reason this comes back to technology is when we see a new technology like drones or blockchain, the first reaction is, oh my God, an autonomous car might kill people. Let's ban the car, right? We'd much rather be killed by drunk people than robots because that's what's killing people today. And so we have this biological wired response because of our amygdala to new ideas and new technologies, which is why anything new people relate to it as danger and people go, oh my God, oh my God. So that's what the current chaos around AI is. It's the same thing. Oh, my God, AIs will take all the jobs in five years. Okay, Do you know when the first article appeared that AIs would take all the jobs in five years appeared? 1964. <laughs> Seriously. Wow. Robots will take all your jobs in five years. And every, every year or two, that same article pops up, and it never happens. Right? And so we have lots of data that this is not going to happen in this way. And if you talk to the people about AIs and consciousness and you know having their own will, I remember talking to one of our AI gurus, Neil Jacobstein, and he goes, okay, so you're worried about an AI acquiring its own capabilities, having access to its own information, making its own decisions, or running amok. That's what you're worried about. And we're like, yeah. He's like, yeah, we have a precedent for that. We call them children. 
<laughs> and we put boxer. You put give them timeouts. If you're an adult, you go to jail. And we'll figure out those same mechanisms for AI. So all this rampant fear, I tend to be very against. Why? Because we see technology as a major driver of progress in humanity. It might be the only major driver of progress in the world. So the more we have, the better. People forget the unbelievable positive effects of technology that go by the wayside. And let me give a really small example of that. If you went back to our grandparents' time, picture each of your grandparents, and they have a parental child issue, right? Kid is having tantrums or whatever that issue is. Who do they get help from? They get help from their two or three neighbors and two or three family members. Their entire corpus of how do you solve that problem is like five people, okay? So everybody grows up with bad parenting. Think about a parent today, and many of us are on the call are parents. You have 2,000 online groups, support systems, therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. You can ask any question that my child's having tantrums. You'll get 80 blog posts on how to solve it. I, I would argue that our ability to parent properly is a thousand times better than two generations ago. And you don't see that in the news, right? So I think the world is an infinitely better place and the benefits are so unbelievable and they're just going to start amplifying and exploding over the next few years as all of this technology comes to bear. Okay, end of rant. Well, positive rant. My God, I haven't heard someone give that frame and that that kind of uh, lens to look at it. But that parenting example you spoke of is something I've never thought about. And you're so right. My sister just has two kids. And so I had to get to be an uncle. And I was so fascinated. Whereas anytime she faces a dilemma, she's on Reddit. And there's like tons of community. And she has amazing techniques to be able to use. And that was not accessible before. And that gives a lot of hope and, you know, a lot of positivity about what's coming up. If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes... Well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. It brings me to this point I wanted to ask you, given that all these technologies, like I remember when I was in my late teens, early 20s, jumping into the workforce, right? I would see all of these older people using this technology and I'd come in as the young gun and I was like, yeah, I know these new technologies. We can implement this and that. There was a bit of resistance, but I was at the cutting edge of what's coming out and all the tech and I wanted to deploy it and I was excited about it. And it's maybe in the last two years, Salim, I have to admit, like I've seen kids come to me and 
show me technology I didn't know about. And I'll, I'll call out names. I remember I was like, oh, HubSpot's like the coolest CRM software. And then these guys come up and they're like, oh, no, you haven't heard of these new tech. And I'm a sales guy. And I, I realized, wow, I need to connect with people that are into this field, that are looking at the new tech. So my question to you is, given the industry that I'm in, and I know you have a spiritual side, which is why I'll give myself permission to ask this. Should I be spending more of my effort really getting to understand all of these technologies? Or should I be spending more of my effort leveling up my consciousness and kind of my understanding of the world and humanity? I think 50-50. I think both. Because you need to kind of understand yourself as powerfully as possible. And because how you operate and appear in the world becomes a very, very big driver of how you achieve success in the world, right? This is why we have that concept of an MTP, Massive Transformative Purpose. The second part of that is absolutely you need to acquire the tools and be aware of the breakthroughs that are happening around the world and how one would navigate those. And let me give you a great little nugget I really love. There's a guy called Douglas Adams who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, which is a super funny book from a few decades ago. And he had a great quote. He said, if you're born and there's technology around, that's normal. If a new thing is invented when you're young, that's a career. Anything invented after you're 35 years old is just wrong. It's just bad, <laughs> right? So ask any banker about Bitcoin and you'll see them like go into hives. They just can't cope. So having that mindset, this is one of the things we finish the second edition of the book with is a whole chapter on mindsets, okay? And we argue that if you took Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Nelson Mandela and dropped him in a desert with no tools and no capability, no money, no access, no network, they would figure it out. Why? Because the mindset they bring to it is, I'm going to figure it out. I have grit. I have resilience. I'm going to be creative and I'll just hack my way through this, right? And that's what makes any great business or successful person so now it comes down to what is your mindset going into the business domain or the sales domain? And this is why we have such a huge focus on the MTP or the massive transformative purpose. What fundamental product is your business trying to solve? And then you can cascade from that. I want to touch on that. And thank you for bringing that perspective. And Salim, it kind of hurts. I, I just turned 35. So I think I just hit that threshold yeah. now. So I'm like, wow, okay. No now it makes sense. <laughs> so... That being said, I want to switch back to something that's very, very tangible from the works that you do. Now, you have amazing models and insights. And for everyone, again, if you have a chance and you're listening to this episode on its release date, you only have a couple days to pick up the book at 99 cents. This is something you want to put in your electronic shelf, definitely. And you speak about this massively transformational purpose. And a lot of us might be navigating the changes going like, oh, okay, my position has been made redundant. Maybe I want to go and be an entrepreneur or I need to start selling my own product or services. And it seems like a lot of us are trying to do the same thing at a small scale. And you speak about how this is the wrong way of going about it because that gets pretty replaced quite fast. So how do I start applying at least the mindset of thinking whatever it is that I'm doing, even if I'm just getting started, I should really start with MTP. And what does that process look like? So if you look at our history over the last few generations, right, all of our education and training and getting a job was all supply side driven. You picked a vocation, you were an accountant, you were a business manager, you were a software developer, you were a a medical doctor, and you then you would go to the job market and try and sell those skills and earn a living, okay, with sales, whatever. And it was supply side. You'd acquire a set of skills, try and sell it in the job marketplace. We're seeing this massive flip now to the demand side, okay? 
where you the the successful people are going to go, what problem do I want to solve? And then I'm going to go acquire the tools and skills and capabilities I need to solve that problem. And the MTP is what fundamental problem do I want to solve? So for Elon, he's like, I want to take humanity multiplanetary. I want to solve energy and I want to solve, you know, neural connections or whatever it is. He has an MTP for each company. And what basic big problem do you want to go after? If you have a big problem, let's say it's curing cancer, right? Then it's easy to form a community around that problem. Then it's easy to find, recruit from that community and find a breakthrough idea. And so we've got a whole methodology in the book. How, how do you build a 10X organization? I want to just point out one little data point about what we've uncovered of EXOs over the 10 years that we've gone from first edition to second edition. When we wrote the book, we scored 200 unicorns against how are they scaling so quickly? And that teased out the model that we now call exponential organizations. Five external attributes like leveraging community, leveraging algorithms, leveraging other people's assets, community and crowd, etc. And five internal mechanisms like using lean startup thinking, decentralized decision-making, real-time dashboards, etc. Because that's all in the model. We then scored the Fortune 100 against this model. Right? So we, we actually came up with a ranking on how purpose-driven is IBM or how much does GE use lean startup think here or not. And I did a segment on CNBC Squawk Box, a big financial program, presenting the index of the Fortune 100 ranked by how flexible, agile, adaptable are their org structures. We just did a seven-year trailing analysis of that model. It said, okay, how do they do over seven years? And over a seven-year period, we took the top 10 most EXO-friendly and the bottom 10 least EXO-friendly, i.e. the least flexible, least adaptable, in our opinion. Okay. And how did they do over seven years? Okay. The top 10 beat the bottom 10 by like 3x on revenue, 6x on profitability, 11x, 11 times, by the way, not percent, times, right? Six times on profit, 11 times on return on equity, but shareholder returns, market cap, 40x. Okay, so let me just repeat that, right? Over a seven-year period, the most flexible and agile big companies in the Fortune 100 compared to the least flexible, least agile, delivered 40 times better shareholder returns. Why? Because as the external world becomes more agile, your ability to adapt is going to drive market value. And if you're doing, say, sales, you have to be able to adapt very quickly to new things, new situations, right? If you're in the sales world, you're using ChatGPT to say, what's the most effective email subject line I can do today? We have clear evidence that if you use ChatGPT, your, your email response rate goes up 25%, something like that. That's amazing. Right? So there's all these tools available, but you have to bring the mindset to it and just go after it. Because now you can be 10x bigger than you were five years ago. Do you see the application of MTP, Massively Transformational Purpose, at a scale for your community? Or is this only something you have to look at at like a global scale for everything? No, it can be just for a community. Take Dollar Shave Club, right? He basically went, shaving should be about a dollar a month for everybody. Boom, that's his MTP. It can be transformational just for your business. It could be, we worked with the mayor of Miami a few years ago, and a lot of the buzz around Miami is because we transformed how public sector thought about it. And the buzz around that was, hey, how can we turn Miami into the most important city in the world? Right? And, and be forward thinking on tech. So the mayor's like, I'm accepting Bitcoin as salary, and we're going to be totally crypto friendly, et cetera, et cetera. Not things you typically hear from a, an 80-year-old fuddy-duddy mayor in some town. And so that's fantastic right? That inspires all the younger generation. 
Well, I know you're building a whole community of people that think exponentially, and there's going to be a link in the show note for those of you who like this kind of thinking, want to see some massive changes in the world. I highly suggest you go and create an account, create your profile, because there's this huge community being built on exponential thinkers. And yes, there are still a lot of problems in the world that need to be solved, and we need people to take bolder action and have bolder statements on what they do want to solve in the world. And I think this community is going to be a powerful vehicle to do that. So Salim, love the influence you're doing there. I have to ask something that's very sales related, given that you're on your Sailing with Love podcast is uh, if I was going to ask you and I had a chance to ask, hey, where do you see the role of a salesperson in like five, 10 years from now? And maybe some of the things we could do now to be better equipped to navigate that. Would you have some specific things to give to people in that profession aside from the chat GPT, of course? Yeah, absolutely huge. The massive opportunity and actually obligation. When you're in sales, you're trying to make a connection with the potential purchaser and using some sort of narrative structure to get a major point across on why your product or service is the one they should acquire, right? When we have an explosion of new ideas, new breakthroughs, new technologies coming to market, the sales function becomes even more important because you can add so much more value to the world by getting them to use a new tool that's 10x better than they could have used before. Because most of the new products and services that we'll be selling into the future will be 10x better than five years ago. And it's super important. The value you can add to your end client becomes 10x higher, right? Now, that makes it slightly easier to sell, but more important because, you know, if you're in sales, the real mantra that's driving you is how can I add the most value to the other side? That's why I love your, your podcast, right? It's selling with love. This is another piece where the MTP is powerful because it creates an emotional connection. You have an emotional connection for that problem. Say it's curing cancer. Like, I want to solve that problem. And that gets you that drive across. And when you're selling or in sales, the more emotion you can bring to the table, the more empathy you generate, the more listening you generate. And that's what's going to be possible. Like, I can show up now to somebody, because I'm an advisor to a healthcare company that solved breast cancer, and say to a hospital system, we can solve breast cancer in your city, in your hospital, in your country. Let's go. Right? And because I have the passion for it and the technology so there, I just have to bridge that narrative to get them to understand it. And then it's an easy conversation from that. That is absolutely beautiful. Salim, there's one question I ask for every guest who comes on the show, and it's usually where we want to close it, is uh, you've touched on it, but I need to ask it more directly. You are on the Selling with Love podcast. So what would Selling with Love mean to you? Selling with Love means to me to project complete empathy onto a potential buyer and understand really what they're trying to solve for and then being the pathway to helping them solve that problem. Salim, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You're such a gem to listen to. There's so much more I want to learn from you. And luckily, you've put a lot of your mindset inside some literature that we can pick up. For those of you listening, again, if you want to learn more about Salim, connect with his organization and become a part of his community, we will have a link in the show notes so you can be a part of this EXO group. And of course, if you're listening to this right at the moment of release, I've mentioned it a few times and I want to make sure as you walk away from this episode that you take a moment, go to Amazon, pick up a copy, 99 cents kindle version of the exponential organizations 2.0 i just picked up my copy and it's going to be my weekend read i suggest you do the same and it was such a pleasure salim thanks for coming on the show all the best thanks for doing what you do and for all of you out there 
make sure you take the time to define what is going to be your massively transformational purpose. If you haven't already, this is a good time to prompt you on solving bigger problems. The technology is going to allow us to do more and more than we ever thought possible. You might as well be a really cool fish enjoying their lives in the beautiful coral sea that's being designed by these platforms as well. Thanks again, Salim. Jason, thank you. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.